Wow, thank you so much for that. Watch what happens. Newsies is the story of how a ragtag team of boys who sell newspapers revolutionized the print journalism industry through unionization and the power of dance. This musical has everything, romance, crutches, over-the-top New York accents, Teddy Roosevelt as the deus ex machina plot device, and the dancing. Seriously, if only these boys knew how marketable they would be as a dance troupe, they would never have had to sell papers. Honestly, though, there's like 13 minutes of discernible plot in this musical, Amanda. The rest of it is just dance numbers. I don't understand, but it was great. It was fun. It's just a lot of dancing goes into newspaper sales, I guess. Anyways, but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, it's a story loosely based on the Newsboys strike of 1899 in New York. Newsies pits 17-year-old Jack Kelly against titan of journalism industry, Joseph Pulitzer, famous for his prize, right, in a fight for labor rights. The largely orphaned boys who sell newspapers for pennies are held over a barrel when Pulitzer decides to raise the cost of newspapers and distribution. A minor increase that could mean more wealth and money in his own pockets, but hunger or worse for the newsies. It's the story of what is possible when the marginalized have the audacity to challenge powers that be, and how a community full of Davids can conquer even an insurmountable Goliath. At the heart of this story is a campaign for dignity, a campaign for dignity. At the heart of most struggles for increased human rights in our world is a campaign for dignity, racial justice women's reproductive rights, LGBTQ inclusion, immigration reform, all are ultimately campaigns for dignity on the part of people typically pushed down or overlooked. Our scripture today features a campaign for dignity from a woman who is not facing down a, a paper publisher, who say that five times fast, but instead she squared off against the Son of God and she won. How's that for a headline? Do you want to read the story? Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 begins and says this, Jesus left that place, that place being uh, Israel, and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman, it says, from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish and her daughter was healed instantly. For the word of God in scripture, 
for the word of God among us and for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. This is a challenging text. But to understand it and to understand the Canaanite woman's campaign for dignity and what it means in the context of Matthew chapter 15, we need to back up a step and look at what happens just before. It says Jesus left that place. Let's talk about what happened in that place. Jesus was in the land of Israel, and he was having one of his routine confrontations with the Pharisees. Pharisees, if you don't know, were these uh, religious legal scholars that really loved to try to trump Jesus up, to try to trip him up in conversation around the law. The Pharisees approach Jesus because they're going to put him on blast for one reason. His disciples were not washing their hands before eating food, which honestly, I'm kind of on the Pharisee's side on that one. That's super gross, Jesus. You are the son of God. Do better. That's just bad hygiene. Like, not even COVID safe. Like, it's just gross, generally speaking. Wash your hands. But, 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 um, Jesus returns the favor and then puts the Pharisees on blast. He, he confronts them because he, he, he condemns them in a way, challenges, confronts them, convicts them for valuing their cultural traditions over the moral and ethical standards that their faith is meant to call them into. It's a very standard confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees, with the Pharisees representing this uh, sort of antagonistic authority, this, this privilege and power, and Jesus being the one to speak up for the moral, ethical standards for the marginalized and the mistreated. That scene is meant to be juxtaposed with what we just heard, because not only does Jesus leave this more Jewish territory and enter into a Gentile one, Tyre and Sidon, He moves geographies, but he also moves positions. Whereas before, Jesus was the one confronting the authority, confronting the privileged and the powerful. Here, Jesus is in that role of hostile authority. And the woman, the Canaanite woman, offers the hard-hitting correction. This chapter serves to illustrate the kind of position that Jesus occupies when it comes to power, privilege, and confrontation. And we ought to pay attention because we're living in a season of dealing with power, privilege, and confrontation. Yes, church? Remember those campaigns for dignity I mentioned before, whether it's racial justice, women's reproductive rights, LGBTQ inclusion, and immigration reform. We're living in a season of confrontation, of challenge, of power, and privilege. And as people who seek to follow after the footsteps of Jesus, understanding how Jesus positions himself in the midst of these systems is incredibly important and prescient for us to see. Notice that Jesus confronts the privileged and the powerful, right? He speaks truth to power when he steps into relationship with the Pharisees, those who are above him in the social order. When he is speaking to the privileged and powerful, he offers that kind of truth in love confrontation that we are called to give. But then, with the Canaanite woman, He appears to open himself to be challenged, to be confronted, to be convicted by the mistreated and the marginalized. Sometimes I think we can fool ourselves into thinking that we're only on one end or the other, but really the path of Jesus is to recognize that frequently we are somewhere in between. We are called to be people who speak truth to power, who confront the powerful and privileged amongst us, even ourselves, but also be people who are open to confrontation, open to challenge, open to change. Now, this text will get read and interpreted frequently by people who want to protect the perfection of Jesus and say, well, Jesus knew that's how the conversation was going to go. You see, Jesus, Jesus knew that she was going to confront him in this way, and he was just trying to put on a show for the disciples. 
And what my response to that would be is, in an effort to preserve Jesus' perfection, I actually think we rob him of it. What if part of Jesus' perfection is not that he always has the right answer, but that he is open to being humble? He is open to being lovingly corrected by who? A Canaanite woman. The lowest of the social order. And he's open to hearing and being changed. Does that not sound perfect to you? I think it's time we read the story again. Christ confronts the privileged and the powerful, and he opens himself to be challenged by the mistreated and the marginalized. When is the last time you or I spoke truth to power in a meaningful way? And when is the last time we opened ourselves up to be humble and to be challenged and changed in a meaningful way? That seems to be the position of the perfect Christ. What comes after this story is just as important as what comes before. See, in this moment of, of, of great faith, as Jesus says from, on the part of the Canaanite woman, uh, her, her daughter is healed. But then what comes next is this overflowing multiplication of miracle. There's this great healing amongst the masses in her place in this Gentile land, this place that Jesus had previously said he wasn't really there for. Suddenly healing is happening everywhere. And then Jesus engages in what I like to call one of those great potlucks, right? So he feeds the many thousands from a handful of loaves and fishes. Out of this moment of faith on the part of the Canaanite woman is this mass healing and this mass feeding, this overwhelming feast. Not unlike the courage of Jack and Newsies, the Canaanite woman's bold confrontation leads to blessing on the part of thousands of others in her community. My friends, the point of th is this. In our campaign for dignity, let's remember this dignity is not a limited resource. I'm going to say it again. Dignity is not a limited resource. There is already enough if we are willing to share it. Pulitzer in Newsies never considers other avenues for growing his business only by extorting those beneath him. He was losing the paper business battle in part because he subscribed to a scarcity mindset. If you haven't heard those words before, listen up, because scarcity mindset drives so much of our world today. It has been robbing people of their dignity for as long as we have walked the earth. It's why we make excuses as to, uh, for refusing to make minimum wage a living one. Scarcity mindset. It's why we all ran out to Costco to buy up all the toilet paper when COVID began. Remember when we thought it was going to be like two weeks where we are all just going to, I guess, poop uncontrollably and needed lots of toilet paper? It's funny, but scarcity mindset. It's the original sin of any economic philosophy that believes that if you win, I must lose. Scarcity mindset. There's not enough to go around. My friends, God's economy is wildly different. Dignity is not a limited resource. In fact, here's the great thing about it. When I seek to increase your dignity, I'll likely find that mine increases as well. When I seek to increase your dignity, when we seek to increase each other's dignity, all of us will rise in the process. Now, I might lose some power. I might lose some privilege. I might lose some wealth. I might lose some status, but to God be the glory if dignity increases. Which would you rather have? One of the common refrains in Jesus' ministry is this invitation to live into abundance. 
The idea that not only is there more than enough, but this really radical, even foolish idea that the more we share, the more there is. And that might sound insane to our capitalistic sensibilities, but then again, Pulitzer couldn't imagine a path to prosperity that did not include grinding orphans into the ground. The more we share, the more there is. God's economy works different. Dignity is not a limited resource, my friends. So let's share it with abundance. Amen? So we've talked about what comes before. We've talked about what comes after. But let's talk about the story in the middle, this vignette that for all of its complications, for all of its controversy, is included as the centerpiece of Matthew chapter 15. I can't help but think of the story of Jacob wrestling with that mysterious figure in the book of Genesis. Jacob, who's on the run, is met by this mysterious figure who begins wrestling with him in the night. And during this fight, Jacob refuses to let go and says, I will not let go until you bless me. This woman, this Canaanite woman, this mother whose furious love for her daughter drives her to behave in a way that could likely bring her violence. A Canaanite woman confronting not just a Jewish man, but a Jewish rabbi surrounded by his followers, and she's getting angry with him. She's confronting him. She's challenging him. This is a scary situation for someone in her position. She refuses to give up the fight. She refuses to let go of the table because she has a holy expectation that something good will be served. Have you ever approached the table of faith with a holy expectation that something good needs to be served? At first, she's ignored. Have you ever felt like God was paying attention to everything and everyone in the cosmos except you? Second, she's dismissed. Have you ever sent your prayers into the ether and heard deafening silence in return? But finally, after her refusal to leave with anything less than crumbs, just crumbs. She and her daughter are blessed. Now, what I want us to notice so clearly this morning, and if you hear nothing else, listen up right now. Notice how Christ views her willingness to challenge, to argue, to struggle, to confront, to demand something of God. Now, these are not words that we normally celebrate in the life of faith, but notice what Christ says. Christ says in the face of her challenging, in the face of her argument, great is your faith. This is good news for anyone who has sat in a pew like these and heard someone say, just shut up and let God take care of it. This is good news if you have been told to just submit and blindly sit by and maybe God's not answering your prayer because you don't deserve it. This is good news for anybody who wants their faith to actually mean something. Because it's, it's good news in the light that it is not selfish to approach Jesus with holy expectation. 
Do you hear the story before us? Do you hear the gospel, my friends? It is not selfish to approach Jesus, to approach the table, to approach faith with holy expectation. In fact, demanding that the table of God produce at least a crumb is a sign of, as Jesus says, great faith. To expect something from faith, something from the table, something from God as a sign of great faith. And that's good news for me this week, and I hope it's good news for you, because I know that for many in this community, folks who've been wearing these orange ribbons for some time, this week is a hard week, and this upcoming week is going to be harder. There's a young boy in our church who is losing his battle with leukemia. His name is Luke. That's why we wear the orange ribbons. And I'll be honest. In many ways, I feel like I have come to the table every day this week waiting for a crumb to fall. Waiting for a crumb to fall. And I need to hear the good news that I'm allowed to expect something good and something holy and something redemptive out of what feels like an empty table at the moment. I feel like maybe I'm at a table with a lot of others waiting for crumbs as well. I promise to sit with you if you promise to sit with me. That's the good news at the heart of Newsies, right? I promise to sit with you if you promise to sit with me. That we could cry out to the Christ together until not just crumbs, but until feasts, baskets of bread and fish overflow for us and for others. May we hear a mother's desperate cries for her child, an unnamed woman's pleas for dignity. May she pierce not just the heart of Christ, but ours as well. May the campaign for dignity start at the table of faith. May we expect something real, something good, something holy from this faith that we claim. May our faith be so great as to not just expect, I dare say, demand. Like the Canaanite woman, as a sign of great faith, that God's goodness is alive and at work in our lives and the lives of each other. May the Canaanite woman be our saint this week. May ours be the campaign for dignity. Amen.